Well, good morning, everybody. It's like quieted down, so I suppose it's time for me to start. So let's uh, let's uh, let's begin with uh, a reading from Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, and he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And uh, let's, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for this day of rest, the Lord's day. Uh, that you call us to gather together as the people of God and worship you. Uh, may the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight today. Uh, we do ask that you would cause us to be able to think clearly and uh, the distractions of the world would uh, fade away. Help us to focus on you today. Help us to glorify you today. We do ask that you would bless this, uh, this teaching now, help me to be clear, and that uh, it would be uh, for our benefit uh, in meditating on this topic, and it would be uh, to your glory. Uh, please bless this time, please bless our efforts, in Jesus' name, amen. So as you can see in bold at the top, today we're considering uh, the holiness of God, uh, there is no escaping it. God is holy. Anyone who spends any time reading the Bible will be confronted with God's holiness and man's call to strive for holiness. This study is the, the next in what I'll call the, the glossary of God's perfections. A few months ago, I had the opportunity to consider God's glory, and this morning we'll consider God's holiness, God's perfection of holiness. And so my springboard into discussing this topic today uh, is from uh, the London Baptist Confession and also the Catechism question, what is God? So, uh, the Lord our God is but one only living and true God, and then in bold there, most holy. And then question number eight from the Catechism, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power and holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So they have the scripture proofs for the holy reference in each of those there. And let's start there. 
uh, get look at some scripture verses to get our minds oriented and thinking along biblical lines of holiness. So Isaiah 6.3, we just read it again here. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Similarly, we see the threefold repetition in Revelation 4.8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And similarly, in Psalm 99, there's a threefold reference in verses 3, verses 5, and verses 9. And just briefly, holy is he, verse 3, holy is he, verse 5, and the Lord our God is holy, verse 9. Revelation 15, 4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Exodus 15, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? The answer, of course, is no one. No one is like our God. But if you weren't sure and kept reading in your Bible, you'd eventually arrive at 1 Samuel 2.2, where we read, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. And so, as the pattern from last time, did some scripture uh, study and move on to some def definitions. I like uh, definitions, make sure that we're all singing out of the same page of the hymn book. So when we think about the word holy, especially in relation to people or things, set apart or consecrated comes to mind. In this sense, it is used when we read holy assembly, holy people, Holy vessels, holy of holies, or most holy place. Bavink clarifies here, in all these instances, the term holy does not yet refer to an internal moral quality, but only indicates that the person or object so described have been consecrated to the Lord, have been placed in a special relation to his service, and are therefore set apart from the common don domain. So in and of itself, a cup or a temple vessel is not holy, but as God designates it so, it is holy, set apart, or consecrated. So it is with people in and of ourselves, not holy. God called out of all the peoples on earth to make them his holy possession. That is Israel. Is God called Israel out of all the peoples of the earth in Leviticus 11. So what do we mean when we say God is holy in, distinct, in distinction from, say, holy water or a holy tithe? Holiness is the moral perfection of God's nature, his separateness from sin and the world. When we think of the holiness of God, concepts that come to mind are the otherness or transcendence of God, that God is above and independent of creation. We think of purity. God is unblemished. Perfect, separate from sin, infinitely morally upright, absolutely opposed to all unrighteousness, evil, and sin. You may have heard the phrase, all that is in God is God. God is who he, he, he is. I am who I am. We read in Exodus 3. It can also, also be said, all that is in God is holy. Holy love, holy righteousness, holy wisdom, holy power, and for the rest of God's virtues, attributes, or perfections, we could also call them holy. And of course, each of the persons of the Trinity are holy. Holy Father, 
Holy Son, Holy Spirit. So now we got some quotes here. The first is from R.C., uh, taken from his exposition of the Westminster Confession of Faith, titled Truths We Confess. God is most holy. In the book of Isaiah, the seraphim sing, Holy, holy, holy. This threefold repetition is a literary device that calls attention to the highest degree. In this case, the angels elevate God's holiness to the highest possible degree, the superlative degree, referring to his majesty or greatness. The term holy is used biblically in two distinct ways, to refer to God's otherness, the way in which he is different from us and transcends all created things, and to refer to his moral perfection. The next quote is from Edward Lee's A System or Body of Divinity, writing in the 1600s. Holiness is the beauty of all God's attributes, without which his wisdom would be futility, his justice cruelty, his sovereignty tyranny, his mercy foolish pity. This distinguishes him from all heathen gods which were wicked. Holiness distinguishes between angels and devils, heaven and hell. Holiness is the working of God to his own end in all things suitable to his nature. When the saints in heaven glorify God for his chiefest excellency, it is thus holy, holy, holy. We find not in the scripture any of God's attributes thrice repeated, wise, 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 or almighty, 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 but holy, 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 because the excellency of God consists chiefly in that. The holiness of God is an universal attribute. Something of holiness runs through all the attributes. His power is holy. His truth is holy. His mercy is holy. It is unchangeable. He is so holy that he cannot be tempted to evil. And this next one is from Terry Johnson's helpful book, uh, The Identity and Attributes of God, uh, put out by Banner of Truth. Uh, and he's quoting uh, a couple of the uh, Puritans. Thomas Watson defines holiness as the intrinsic purity of his essence. For Edwards, it is the excellency and beauty of God's nature, whereby his heart is disposed and delights in everything that is morally good and excellent. God, he says, is the infinite fountain of purity and holiness in an infinitely pure flame that shines with pure brightness, such that the heavens appear impure when compared with him. He is infinitely holy and opposite to sin. It is his glory to be infinitely displeased with sin. And then lastly here, holiness is the most sparkling jewel of his crown. It is the name by which God is known. Holy and reverend is his name. He is the Holy One, Seraphim cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. His power makes him mighty. His holiness makes him glorious. God's holiness consists in his perfect love of righteousness and perfect abhorrence of evil. He is of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on iniquity. So, uh, I hope those definitions were helpful, kind of framing in, thinking about the holiness of God. The next phase here that we're going to take a look at uh, a catechism. So John Flavel, in his works, 
He has an exposition of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, a scriptural exposition of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And on the question, what is God? He hones in on that one word, holy, and he uh, comes up with 10, 10 talking points or sub-questions. So we'll go through those and I'll add some comment or, or a quotation for each. So the first question, how manifold is the holiness of God? The whole holiness of God is twofold, communicable or incommunicable. Of his communicable holiness, the apostle speaks in Hebrews 12, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness, of his incommunicable holiness, that scripture speaks in 1 Samuel 2, there is none holy as the Lord. And so I'll let George Smeaton uh, from his book, The Incomparableness of God, clarify uh, what is meant by communicable and incommunicable. Those big, big words there. There are some attributes of God called incommunicable because the creature, as a creature, is incapable of them, and therefore they cannot be attributed to man or angels. It is impossible for a creature to be independent, self-sufficient, eternal in a strict sense, or infinite, so that all will acknowledge God incomparable in these excellencies. There are other attributes of God which are called communicable, namely his power, holiness, wisdom, faithfulness, etc., because they are communicated by him to his rational creatures. And there is some show or shadow of them in men and angels. So the next question, what is the essential and incommunicable holiness of God? It is the infinite purity of his nature, whereby he delights in his own holiness and the resemblance of it in his creatures, and hates all iniquity. In Habakkuk 1, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. So keying in on the Habakkuk text, clearly in Scripture we see God is omnipresent, uh, everywhere present in all places at all times. So here is an appeal by Habakkuk to the moral purity of God's holiness. The sense is not that God cannot see what is happening, but that God cannot approve of or condone evil, and that because of his holy nature. And number three, what is the first property of God's holiness? He is essentially holy. holy holiness is not a separable quality in God as it is in angels and men, but his being and his holiness are one thing. So by property, we are thinking of a peculiar quality or inherent quality related to God's holiness. An essential property is a property one must have uh, as opposed to may happen to have or may lack. God in his essence, in his being, he is holy. Uh, number four, what's the second property of God's holiness? God is, again, essentially holy, the author and fountain of all communicated holiness. In Leviticus 20, I am the Lord which sanctifieth you. And God is the author and finisher of faith, we read in Hebrews 12. God is also the author and finisher of holiness. Holiness for the believer is begun here in this life and is perfected in heaven when we are glorified. Uh, question five, what is the third property 
that holiness of God is the perfect rule and pattern of holiness to all creatures. In First Peter, we read, "Be ye holy, for I am holy." <clears throat> Excuse me. This perfect rule and pattern of holiness is displayed or made known in God's law, God's holy and wonderful work of creation and providence. It is also seen in God's attitude toward goodness and sin, and especially in the life of Jesus. In Hebrews 1, we read, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So then Flavel moves on to instructions. The first one is that the holiest of men have cause to be ashamed and humbled when they come before God. As again, Isaiah 6 one cried unto another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. So Alex Motyer, in his commentary on, on Isaiah, uh, notes, God's holiness is his unapproachable and unique moral majesty, before which sinful humankind instinctively quakes. Just as holiness is the whole truth about God himself, so it is the whole truth about his imminence in creation. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holiness is the Lord's hidden glory. Glory is the Lord's omnipresent holiness. I like that last sentence, so I'll say it again. Holiness is the Lord's hidden glory. Glory is the Lord's omnipresent holiness. The universal experience of man in God's presence since the fall is the the recognition of one's unfitness to be in the presence of a holy God. And this leads to the next instruction. There is no coming near to God without a mediator, for our God is a consuming fire. Uh, Hebrews 7.26 For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. God has provided us the perfect mediator in Jesus Christ. Uh, Winding down here, a few more to go. Question 8. What is the third instruction from God's holiness? Holiness is indispensably necessary to all those which shall dwell with him in heaven. Hebrews 12, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And Owen has uh, a nice quote here. John Owen, that is, again, writing in the 1600s. Holiness indeed is perfected in heaven. But the beginning of it is invariably and unalterably confined to this world. And where this fails, no hand shall be put into that work in eternity. Uh, To say it briefly, no holiness, no heaven. In question nine, what is the fourth instruction? Uh, The gospel is of inestimable value as it is the instrument of conveying holiness of God to us. 2 Corinthians 3 But we all, with open face, beholding as it were in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And lastly, question 10. What is the last instruction from God's holiness? That all the despisers of and scoffers at holiness are despisers of God, for holiness is the very nature of God and in the creature 
it is his represented image. So in this last section, at a high level, uh, we will look at uh, some concepts on what shall we do to resemble uh, God in holiness. This course is not an uh, exhaustive, it's not a workshop on the pursuit of holiness, it's just some practical guidelines. And after the first two, it's basically just a scripture reading reminding us of all the places that God instructs us on uh, the pursuit of holiness or sanctification. So uh, this first section, understand the difference between justification and sanctification. So there are three questions from the catechism, and as you can see, one of them is not like the other. Justification is an act, adoption is an act, and sanctification is the work. So that, that there's where we can see some difference. And now to some similarities. We also see in one respect they are all similar. Justification, adoption, and a sanctification are all of God's free grace. So again, going back to the differences. In justification, God pardons and accepts only on the basis of Christ's righteousness imputed to us, received by faith. In adoption, we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. So in justification and adoption, there is no further thing to do. God has done it for us on our behalf and declared it so. We are not in the process of being justified in the sense we're looking at this question here, question 36. Uh, we are not in process of being adopted as if we were wait, waiting on the paperwork to go through for our adoption. Uh, we, have, we have been justified. We have been adopted. In sanctification, there is an aspect which you read in Scripture where we are sanctified. In the catechism here, that is noted as renewed. The work of conversion, where we get a new heart, new mind, we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. This is what God does for us in the new birth, conversion, all those wonderful words, effectual calling, conversion, regeneration, a new heart, a new mind. Uh, some of the verse, a couple of the verses, just briefly, uh, uh, that speak to sanctified, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In Hebrews 10.10, 10, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then a few verses later in Hebrews 10 verse 14, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So that last verse really captures it perfect and yet being sanctified which rolls into finally the the major difference uh in in this question 38 what is sanctification we are enabled more and more to die into sin and live unto righteousness there is some doing here that ongoing work of sanctification in the believer's life so all that to say don't get these confused. Hopefully that was confusing. Justification is the root and sanctification is the fruit. Uh, you've probably heard that little, that little cute saying before. So 
what shall we do to resemble God in holiness? You can't earn salvation by attempting to be holy. So uh, that, that's number one consideration this morning. Uh, understand God's intention in election. Uh, Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Ephesians 2, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Philippians Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, Bonus scripture, 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So we see here that we're working, and yet it is God working. What a wonderful mystery. Scripture's pretty clear on that. We do, and yet it is God, by his grace, working in us enabling us by the the power of his Holy Spirit. Next, don't maintain silly notions of holiness. This would be legalism, uh, making non-essentials essential for salvation. It makes God's holiness silly. Uh, Just a couple of examples here. Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Picking heads of grain that ought, those kinds of things ought not be in our mind when we're thinking of holiness. And, and sure enough, this Pharisee and Sadducee, they thought they were being holy and following God's law in uh, making these statements. And then in Luke, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath. I mean, to me, that's one of the silliest statements in the Bible. Um, it makes holiness silly when we create these rules and do's and don'ts that are not expressly set down or necessarily contained in Holy Scripture. It's a reference from uh, the, the, the Confession, uh, chapter 1, paragraph 6, uh, the Westminster, more, more popular phrase, good and necessary inference. So there, there's plenty that God instructs us to do. Uh, we don't need to add to it. Uh, don't maintain silly notions of holiness. Uh, and now, finally, to the, the more practical things that, you know, we'll, to, to remind us uh, this morning. Attend to the ordained means. Uh, Acts 2.42, classic. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. You forsake these, you're not going to be able to pursue holiness. You need to put yourself under the preached word of God. Uh, for exhortation and encouragement, rebuke, all of the things, uh, not forsaking the assembly of of the believers, the fellowship, uh, breaking of bread, especially prayer. Prayer is the one thing all of God's people have had, uh, 
in all times and all places, not always had the church to gather not, uh, from time to time, not always had the word of God handy like we, we do readily. Prayer, uh, so important in pursuing holiness, asking God to enable us to live in a way that's pleasing to him. Uh, no one loved the Holy Scriptures. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Every day is a battle. Dress for battle. Uh, God has equipped us, Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do have, as Thomas Brooks said, these precious remedies against Satan's devices. So put on the armor of God and just be mindful every day. There's no easy day. Uh, every day is a battle, and it, it comes at you when you're least suspecting it. Uh, John Owen's famous uh, quote here, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And lastly, uh, flee, worldly, flee worldliness, pursue holiness. See that five times fast. Uh, not, not in your notes here, I think I added this later. First uh, Thessalonians, abstain from every form of evil. This is not a subjective statement. It's not as if one can say, eh, that's evil for you, but it's not evil for me, so it's okay. This, this verse means something. Abstain from every form of evil. God is clear in his word what is evil, and we ought, and we ought to flee it in form or appearance. First uh, John do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. First Timothy but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And Hebrews, strive for peace with everyone. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And then I just filled out the page with a few more uh, there are thousands of references in the Bible to pursue holiness, live a godly life. Um, but it's all in light of the work on the cross that Christ has done on our behalf and imputed to us and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So keep that in mind. You can't, uh, holiness does not earn you salvation. And then I'll close. Uh, this is a, a little book, A Guide to Christian Living, put out by Banner of Truth, excerpts from John Calvin uh, in this section. Uh, God's perfection should be our aim. <clears throat> I do not require the Christian's conduct to match the gospel standard of purity and perfection, although that is something we should desire and should try hard to achieve. In any case, I do not insist that evangelical perfection be attained before anyone can be regarded as a Christian. That would be too strict and severe a test. On that basis, every living soul would be excluded from the church, for there is no one 
whatever progress he has made, who does not come well short of the mark. Most people, indeed, have hardly advanced one step, yet they are not to be rejected on that account. What then? Our sights should naturally be set on the perfection which God commands. That should be the yardstick by which we measure all our actions, and that should be the goal for which we strive. It is quite wrong of us to pick and choose where God is concerned, accepting part of what his word commands and omitting all the rest, just as we please. What he invariably commends as of first importance is integrity, by which he means absolute simplicity of heart, freedom from pretense, the very opposite of double-mindedness. In other words, the essence of right living is spiritual, when the soul is inwardly moved to give itself sincerely to God, and thus to lead a righteous, holy life. But as long as we live in this earthly prison, none of us is strong or keen enough to hurry on as briskly as we ought. Most of us are so weak and feeble that we shuffle and stumble along, making little headway as we go. Let each of us go on, then, as our limited powers allow, without departing from the path we have begun to tread. However haltingly we may travel, each day will see us gaining a little ground. So let us aim to make diligent progress in the way of the Lord, and let us not lose heart if we have only a little to show for it. For although our success might be less than we would wish, all is not lost when today surpasses yesterday. Only let us fix our gaze clearly and directly on the goal, trying hard to reach our objective, not fooling ourselves with vain illusions or excusing our own vices. We should always strive to improve from day to day until we attain that supreme goodness which we are meant to seek and pursue as long as we live. We will finally lay hold of it when, freed from the weakness of our flesh, we are fully able to share in it. That is, when God receives us into his fellowship. And so let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you are holy. Uh, We're thankful for your loving kindness to us this day. We ask that you would bless our fellowship, uh, that it would be uh, edifying. Uh, We ask that you would strengthen uh, the pastor for preaching this next hour, and may it be a benefit to our soul and glorifying and honoring to you. Please bless uh, all of our worship today, our prayers, our singings of psalms and hymns, and the preached word. We are so thankful for the Lord's Day, and we ask that you would bless our efforts. In Jesus' name, amen.